Hey everyone, welcome to episode 84 of the Switch Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. Uh, with me as always is Jeannie Wu. Hi! And Andrew Brown. Hello! And we have a pack show for you this week. We're going to talk about uh, Wolfenstein Youngblood, uh, Mutant Year Zero Road to Eden Deluxe Edition, and Attack on Titan 2 Final Battle. And we're going to have a little bit of a rant about EA, so let's uh, start with that one. Okay, so uh, EA have uh, been talking about their stance on Switch as part of uh, a sort of Ask ask Me Anything session. Uh, They were specifically asked about the chance of The Sims coming to Switch, which which would be a great game in their locker to bring, I think. There'd be some uh, good opportunities for crossovers and things like that. But uh, basically on the Switch, they said... Uh, anytime we're evaluating platform conversions, uh, we are really looking at a couple of things. One, does the game really fit the profile of the platform in terms of the control or community ecosystem? Two, do we think the community playing on that platform would appreciate the game to go there, or would they prefer to play it somewhere else? We have a lot of data that would suggest great many Switch owners also own a PS4, an Xbox One, or a PC, and very often choose to play the games we make on those platforms, even though they have a Switch. And they enjoy a lot of great content, on the Switch. There's always an evaluation process that goes on a case-by-case basis. I wouldn't say that The Sims would never go to Switch, but I think we're doing really, really well at attracting Sims players. As we said, we did the promotion in the last couple of months and brought in 7 million new Sims players that we expect will engage in in that community on a platform that is really tailored to user-generated content, creativity, and customization. In response to that, I say hooey. Their support of the Switch has amounted to two indie games, uh, Fear or Fear, and Unravel 2, and three really subpar FIFA games that they have basically have been telling everyone constantly are inferior to the other versions, so of course people aren't going to buy them there. Uh, and then you look at the, you know, the games they have in their locker, like not just the new stuff, but things... Uh, from last gen that people would just buy up in droves on the Switch, such as the Mass Effect trilogy, Dead Space, you know, the older Dragon Age games, all those would be, you know, prime suspects. The Sims, of course, is just the the perfect fit for Switch, I think, especially for, because it's capable of running on, you know, practically any PC. I know many people who play Sims on PC who would be more than happy for a Switch port and would be clamoring for one. My take on this is you know put a game on switch that suits the switch rather than just your your half-assed fifa port and maybe the players will start playing on that platform who knows uh, have you what were your guys thoughts on this this little statement from them um i personally think that it is just complete nonsense um that there's no demand um for ea games and and that it just doesn't make it makes no sense to me as like a current EA game consumer. Like I play a lot of Sims. Um, I even played, you know, Anthem. God, just don't, don't ask me why I did that. I did it, but it happened. <laughs> um, recently revisited Mass Effect Three. You know, consistently play Dragon Age. Um, and there are just so many games that I think, especially in EA's historical library, like you have just mentioned. That would be really, really great for the Switch. I mean, games like The Last Remnant were being re-released on the Switch. We all know how that adventure panned out for me. There's just, <laughs> you know, the fact that games which are, I suppose, a lot more have a lot more niche appeal than all these kind of really popular EA titles. The fact that those niche games are doing reasonably well on the Switch. 
despite some people maybe never hearing of them ever until you know this sudden renaissance i just don't see why they think it's not it's not commercially viable there's so much that they've made which is good um and i see andrew here has a long list of games which he's going to go about go on to talk about i'm very sure which could be great on the switch and a lot of these games are games that i think a lot of ea consumers even people that don't really i guess consider themselves ea fans would would enjoy like you don't need to just trot out your sports games i i really don't think that that is sort of what people are potentially gunning for on the switch i mean like you said andy lots of people have a switch and another console i think if you want something portable the sort of like draw the real kind of i guess the the real surprise there the real magic trick would be to put a, a dragon age game on the switch you know or to put um something like that on the switch instead just maybe even dead space like it's just ea has done so well historically so so well that lots of people nowadays i think if, like, if you took like a survey of people that you knew in the industry and you were like, oh, you know, what are some good EA games? It would be everything from, like, the past. It would be titles from, what, that may, are, what, maybe five years or older. You know, games that don't run or don't need to run on, like, the highest current-gen tech. Games that are arguably incredibly ripe for a port because of their age. And I just don't, I don't see at all this, this sort of strange argument, you know. Like, we've seen it before. We saw it before from other Japanese developers where they were all like, oh, no, we're not going to put our game on the Switch. Two months later, everyone's changed their tone. Capcom. Yeah, I don't know why it's taking EA so long to come around after you've consistently seen people, especially like Team Capcom, do make a complete killing on the Switch. You have all this data available to you as a developer and a publisher, which suggests that the Switch is moving units and moving games as part of those units. And I mean, with the with the Switch 2 coming out, I guess a mini Switch, it's just this is, this is the time to be considering a renaissance of all your old titles that people love. If your EA and the new stuff has not done so well, I'm so sorry, it's not done well at all. This is the exact time to wield the nostalgia hammer. Wield it with as much brute force as possible <laughs> by putting your old games on the Switch. This is the time. Distract people from Anthem. You can do it. This is one of the ways. Put your old games on the Switch. They don't need to distract people from Anthem because people have forgotten about Anthem. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> What's your take on this one, Andrew? I just don't know how this this one guy can say people choose to play EA games on their PlayStation 4 and Xbox One and PC even though they own a Switch when there are no EA games on Switch. That's, that's not a choice. <laughs> that's the only option. <laughs> like If they would put out... A decent port on the switch people might actually play it and it's not like they don't have a wide variety of games that they could do this in aside from the ones that andy already mentioned they've got games like star wars battlefront knights of the old republic uh which i think is really boring but a lot of people love that game it would sell like hotcakes battlefield madden nfl need for speed spore apex legends a way out way out could absolutely run on switch sim city the sims command and conquer titanfall uh mirror's edge Dungeon Keeper, mm, SSX, Plants vs. Zombies, Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare. Uh, Skate is a license a lot of people love, which would do really well getting rebooted on the Switch. And uh, Burnout Paradise, which they, I guess, have the rights to that now. They've been doing the, the, the remaster of that one. And, like, some of these games I, I want already. Like, money is on the table right now for a Dead Space trilogy port on the Switch. Or even a new Dungeon Keeper game, but 
we're not going to see that because if you just look at what happened to Dungeon Keeper, you'll find out exactly why. Dungeon Keeper is now a mobile game with microtransactions. And if the game does not have microtransactions that they can just continually milk over time to make endless profit, you know, air quotes, then they're not going to publish it. That's just where they're at right now. And they don't see the Switch as a competitive platform for that kind of pricing, which may very well be true because the Switch is not always connected to the internet like a dedicated console is or like most PCs are. So they're probably just looking at that and looking at how they imagine their cash flow is working, even though I don't think it's working that well for them. But And th that's what they've decided, that there are going to be no Switch ports, even if it would be easy money like Dead Space or Mass Effect or Dragon Age, because that is not what they value right now. If it's if it's not nine ninety nine for a loot box, they don't want to do it, and that's disappointing. But they need to quit. <laughs> they need to quit uh, with this nonsense rationalization that everybody sees through instantly because it, it just makes them sound like idiots. And you know, I, I can respect. You know, we don't want to do it because that's not how our business model works right now. I can respect that. But saying nonsense like people don't want to play our games on Switch, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> Shut the heck up. Yeah, and they, they can't keep their current business model of relying on microtransactions because, you know what, countries keep banning them. And that's going to keep happening because mm. it's predatory and disgusting and they're going to have to go back to actually making games at some point. Well, I even remember in the, in the late 2000s, that was a whole thing with EA and Dead Space was like the like their flagship of how they were going to be doing better. They're going to be publishing original games and supporting original IPs. Ten years later, they're right back where they were. EA is just, they're just an absurd company. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, there was that, and there was Mirror's Edge around the same time, and it was like, wow, yeah, cool, they're, they're willing to take a chance on something different. Um, and then, yeah, we're back to square one again. Uh, but yeah, if they, like, Mass Effect trilogy would just be, hands down, a success easy like people would clamor for that the ability to play it wherever they want or around yeah around the house like that would be a s easy money but oh well so with the unpleasantness out of the way uh let's talk about what we've been playing this week <laughs> Okay, so the first one, uh, let's uh, talk about Attack on Titan 2 Final Battle. Andrew, you've been playing this one. I, I believe it's add-on for the original Attack on Titan 2, repackaged as a full game. Yeah, the pricing on it is interesting. This is an expansion pack that's building onto the original game, but they're also completely repackaging the whole thing as just an original title, uh, which is what I ended up getting with the review code we were given. So I had to replay the entire game to get to the new content, which I was not real thrilled about, but <laughs> I did it anyway. Just as a recap of the base game, it tells the first two seasons of the anime, which is also based on a manga, but I think from what I can work out, it's mostly based on the anime, and it's it's pretty bad in how it tells the story because it has you create this <laughs> fan fiction OC do not steal and just has you stand around in the background while all the plot happens. It's pretty 
ridiculous and it doesn't work very well. The whole time that you're doing this, you're hanging out with your friends, and after every mission, you go back to the garrison, and you're all standing around in your uniforms, and you, you go to lectures, and you, you go have lunch together. It's like, I know what you're doing here. You're not you're not fooling anybody. <laughs> it's another high school anime stuff in a setting that does not need it. But it, it goes through the whole story and has you killing titans. And this is actually where the game is pretty interesting. Because if you don't know what Attack on Titan is, it's it's about these last survivors of humanity who live behind this giant wall. Who are constantly being attacked by giants. And the giants will grab you and eat you. So these people have these grappling systems that they use to latch onto the giants and fly around them in giant circles and try to slash them in the back of the neck. And that's pretty much everything that you do in this game. There's not a lot of variety, really. Almost every enemy you kill... Actually, I shouldn't even say almost. Every enemy you kill is just one of these titans. You fly around them, you try to hit their weak points, you can cut off their arms and legs, or you can just go for the kill stroke on the back of their neck. And it works pretty well, uh, especially considering the hardware it's running on. It runs very smoothly, but it's a little too sophisticated for its own good. Like, while you're grappling with these systems, you you latch onto either walls near you or the titans in front of you with these ropes, and if the ropes get tangled up in, like, a tree or on a rooftop or around a corner or something, it actually will knock you out. It's pretty impressive that they were able to program the physics for this. But where the problem comes in is with the titans, with their pathing, is they often clip through buildings or through walls, or if you knock them on the ground, they often will sit in the ground, and then you can't latch onto them because their key parts are not visible. Uh, so they've got this really awesome grappling system that really follows through in a really intricate way the physics of this idea and then you've got the titans themselves which just basically do whatever they want in farm in terms of interacting with the environment and it can get really frustrating after a while this is a game that i really feel like you shouldn't play for more than a couple hours at a time unless you want to just get absolutely fed up with how finicky it can get especially since there isn't a lot of variety and that's what you do in the story mode but then there's the another mode and that's that's literally what it's called because the localization <laughs> of this game is not very good but another mode just sets you off on this pack of missions that you can do as you please as you complete missions you unlock more missions there's no plot uh there's no garrison that you go back to to eat lunch with your crew it's just killing titans and upgrading your equipment and then moving on to the next one it's it's a much more fast-paced experience and that's the base game now the expansion content for the final battle mode covers the third seasons of the story and the third season i actually enjoyed a lot more uh in terms of the story that's covered in the game uh largely because things seem to actually happen in the third season which is more than i can say for the first two seasons <laughs> Uh, and it also gets rid of your original character. You can still play as your character if you got attached to them playing the base game. You can still play as them in the side modes, but when it's covering the actual Season 3 story, it's doing something called the Character Episode Mode, where you play through the events of the story from the perspective of different characters in the plot, which is a much better way of telling a story, because stories are about characters. So if you focus on the characters that 
are being starring in the story, you're going to have a much stronger story. That's just the way it works. So like Levi uh, is kind of a jerk in the base game. You don't really get to know much about him except that he's humanity's strongest soldier, but he doesn't really have a personality. He's just this guy who kind of shows up and saves your life a couple times, then disappears again. Now, in the character episode mode, when you're actually playing as Levi, and you're actually seeing him in cutscenes doing things, you actually get a much stronger idea of who Levi is, and he's Actually, I thoroughly enjoyed those chapters where I was playing as him. It also gives you a little more variety of things to do. Like, you actually, rather than fighting titans, you also, on some levels, fight other people, which can be a little chaotic because you're still using that system where you're flying around in the air and stabbing people when you get close enough to them, but now you're doing it against your fellow people, and there's very plot-related reasons that that happens. And, but still, this is a story that is just an ongoing story. It might very well be one of those stories that they don't have a planned ending for it. They're just making it up as they go along. Even though this is called Final Battle, there's no finality here. There's no, <laughs> there's no conclusion to any of the story arcs here. And a lot of the stuff that just bugged me in the base game still happens here. Like in the base game, people just kept revealing themselves to have new superpowers whenever the plot demanded it. And this new version, or in this new content, there's a character who's like, oh, I'm a princess now. I'm like, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but once you get through the character episode mode, there's a new mode called the territory recovery mode, which is kind of like taking the another mode and really expanding on it. And I'm really happy this is in the game because this feels like a mode that actually uses this setting to make a good game because it's kind of like sending you back to the story mode where you have the garrison that you go back to between missions, but it puts you in charge of this garrison and at the start of the mode you have nothing there. It's just this empty walled area but when you go out on these missions you get more resources and you can recruit more people to be in your garrison and then you can bring them back and you can build like uh, barracks inside of your garrison you can build shops and you can build uh, pens to store the titans that you capture and you just do that and you get stronger and then you go back out and you go further out because how far you can go depends upon how many supplies you have how many supplies you have depends upon how big your garrison is so it's just building up your garrison as big as you can until you can get to the deepest parts of this area you're trying to liberate from titan control and you just keep going back and forth on that and you recruit people from the story and there's still little like cutscenes between the characters, you get an idea of who these people are, but it's completely separate from this absurd plot that the anime is telling. It's its own thing, which is exactly what this game needed, and I'm kind of on the fence on the game before, because uh, I did like the Titan stuff, I did like another mode, but the game was just not built to emphasize those things but i think if you get this game and you're not an attack on titan fan which i'm not uh you'd still find this territory recovery mode very engaging and i think this is really where the game is at its best because it, it's taking this setting and it's actually doing something interesting with it rather than just regurgitating this story which is still not finished i don't know why they keep doing that but the character the territory recovery mode is is very good uh i'm very happy it's finally giving a purpose to this game and maybe if there's an attack on titan 3 maybe it'll focus more on this care territory recovery mode 
rather than retelling the events of season one through three, then moving into season four, which I'm sure is the direction they're actually going to go because that's what Attack on Titan 2 was. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, uh, it, it's a it's a troubled game. It, it's really trying to find itself and it's kind of all over the place and how it goes about that. But I think when you get to that territory recovery mode, that's really where it finds what it's trying to be. And that was by far the most enjoyment that I got out of this game and 40 plus hours it took me to replay the whole thing. Uh, so we look forward to seeing how that goes in uh, Attack on Titan 2. This time it's really final, honest. 365 over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of uh, games that don't know what they want to be, oh, uh, no. I have been playing Wolfenstein Youngblood. No, uh, don't um, tell me that. Now, people who have been listening to the show for a while know that I, I don't really play a lot of shooters anymore, uh, but the ones I have really enjoyed in recent years have tended to come from Bethesda, so Doom 2016, uh, Wolfenstein The New Order, Wolfenstein 2, uh, the New Colossus, uh, both games I absolutely adore and evangelized, um, so this was a no-brainer for me. So as soon as it was announced, I liked the idea of the premise, which is uh, set 19 years after uh, Wolfenstein 2, uh, BJ Blazkowicz is missing uh, in Nazi-occupied Paris, and his twin daughters, uh, Jess and Soph, decide to go don the power armor and try and save him. Now, uh, when they announced this, I, I sort of pre-ordered it straight away as soon as I knew it was coming to Switch. And then I decided to ignore everything about it because, you know, I want to go in fresh because the story in, this, in these games has been the most enjoyable part. So I went to pick up my copy and then got back home and it was then I realised that there is actually no physical version. Uh, it's just the code in a in an empty box. I didn't know that it, when I was pre-ordering, there was no hint of that in the page description, so I'm a bit annoyed. Uh, I could have just bought it online, uh, and I've got a case that I'll never ever have to use. As for the game itself... So... <laughs> basically, the first two Wolfenstein games were lauded for being really great single-player shooters in this, you know, online world where games of service games are all the rage. Um, what they've made here is a stab at making a game a service game. So everything you do, it's geared for playing online in co-op, uh, which which is fine. I'm, I'm okay with them experimenting. Um, you can still play it solo. You, you, there's an offline mode. Basically what happens is you pick a, a choice of which sister to start as, the only difference between them really is the starting weapon, so uh, Jess gets an assault rifle, which is who I opted for, and Soph gets a shotgun, and you make some other choices, there's some cosmetic stuff about like the, the power armour and what that looks like, what helmet they have, uh, which pistol, you can get like an automatic one or a silenced one, what ability you start with, which is a cloaking or a crush move, and you know, no-brainer, you go for the cloaking, because stealth is a viable option in these games, usually. Uh, and then you get to pick a pep, which is uh, an ability you and your sister have when you're close to each other. You give each other a thumbs up, and you, you'll either get boosted health or boosted armor for a short period. And basically, these choices, if you're playing solo, are, are utterly irrelevant. Um, what I had anticipated was I would select what I wanted, and then the sister would have the opposite, so we could combine the skills in useful ways. No, they just both get the same thing and they don't really offset each other in any way, so it doesn't seem to really offer anything. I imagine the co-op side of things will uh, circumvent that, but I'll get onto that shortly because I haven't tried it, and for very good reason. Uh, the gameplay itself is... it's 
big saving grace because it is the Wolfenstein combat, which I, I really loved. It's action-packed. It's constantly engaging. You know, it's all about they, they pressurize you as much. And it's about shooting and keeping on moving. The problem is it's got really, really bad checkpointing, like barely any. So um, in the, the main story missions, I, I got to a point where I got to, like most of the way through, got to a, like a big challenge room thing died and then it kicked me back to the beginning level which was like 20 minutes progress lost uh and then i battled back through i got to the the end boss of this level and died again and then i had i had thought it had taken me back to the beginning of the level again it hadn't it had had checkpointed just a short while before the boss but it played the story movie from the beginning of that mission so i was like oh no uh but that uh, that losing twenty minutes of progress thing is a common thing throughout, especially in the the story missions. Um, and some of these bosses are like superbly difficult. So the second one was uh, a giant robot who just bombards you constantly with explosives, and then they start throwing another thing. So it's it's hard to um, figure out your tactics for that. So you get in, and it's just complete shock and awe, and often. Before you realise what's happened, you're back at the beginning of the stage again, you have to battle through 20 to 25 minutes worth of action all over again. What happened was, uh, I, I did that, I died, went back to the beginning, I battled through again, I, I got to the boss, I beat him, and then as he was falling, the game crashed to the menu, <laughs> and then I loaded <laughs> it back up again, and it hadn't checkpointed, and I was back 25 minutes progress lost and that was like well over two hours of my night just butting my head against really really rubbish checkpointing i wanted to swear then you probably realized um so that was the point at which i deleted the game because i can't be bothered (laughs) with that if it's Mm -hmm. not going to respect my time uh however the the structure of the game is that there is like a as well as the story missions there is like a a foe open world so it's split into areas that you can basically travel to and through however you want or whenever you want and there's lots of little side missions and like raids and things you can go do in these environments and traversing these parts is 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 a joy in comparison to the story missions like the everything you do is recorded in these areas so like if you go do a mission to go you know just clear out a base you'll clear out the base it'll it'll save that you've done that mission as soon as you've done it it doesn't matter if you die and often you could actually die on purpose and it will take you back to a spawn point with the mission done um and i found these the side stuff to be a lot more enjoyable than the story missions um the problem is when you when you do die if you've been fire you know if you're in the firefight and you run out of ammo and then you die you'll actually respawn with no ammo so then you have like a, a bit of time where you're trying to build that back up again the dying thing feels less annoying the more you go on because you, you actually get like three shared lives you get downed before you die uh, so you have to call your sister over to come and pick you back up or you her uh, it's only if you fail to do that that you lose a life the problem is if you both get downed at the same time that's two lives gone like straight away uh, and that's where it gets difficult in these big challenge rooms uh, some of the stuff that does stay consistent throughout is there is a leveling system 
Uh, so all these missions have uh, levels assigned to them, and you have to be there or thereabouts to stand a chance. All the enemies have health bars. Um, they started getting a bit spongy leading up to that boss before, but every time I died, I did at least ma- maintain the XP I was on and my levels. Uh, and you do keep getting like skill points you can spend, and the choices there are more meaningful and improve your abilities across both sisters. And you can upgrade your guns as well. You, you collect money as you're playing. You can upgrade your guns throughout. Uh, it's clear when you start the game that it's meant to be played po- uh, co-op. It's got uh, an away out style body pass system, which lets you invite someone who doesn't own the game. Uh, if you have the deluxe edition, uh, which you should have if you bought it brand new. I like that a lot. I think that's really smart and a good way to encourage people to play it co-op. And it says a lot about the way they intended people to play it. Um, but this co-op thing itself also causes other issues so you can't pause at any point even if you're playing solo or offline and that has a knock-on effect so in the old games like you could switch easily between like your last two used weapons if you ran out you'd have to go to the weapon wheel in the previous two games that would slow down time to give you time in the middle of a firefight to select something with with enough ammo or the right weapon for the job here time does not slow so if you're under pressure you run out of ammo you just don't get any help whatsoever from the game and then if you die you're back to start the, the mission again it is just terribly designed i just can't fathom why they didn't think people would want mm. checkpoints uh and the other sour note to mention is uh, there are microtransactions in this uh they're restricted to cosmetics uh, so basically you can show off to one other player for some reason it's that seems uh, an odd thing but however there is a thing where um, the spending the microtransaction money on <clears throat> gameplay boosters was possible on some versions. I believe it was active on the PS4 version. It has been patched out. They they have claimed that was in by accident again, which is a common excuse Bethesda keeps coming out with uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's just really scuzzy. You can you can see they were going to be offering like XP boosters for real money. And decided that was a bad idea at the last minute. And thankfully they've pushed it out, but the the fact it was in there originally just raises alarm bells. Honestly, if it wasn't for how good the actual combat is, I would have dumped this a lot sooner. Uh, I wanted to stick with it because I, I love uh, Machine Games' uh, previous work. I had complete trust in them because of that previous work. And... Honestly, I just don't know who was asking for this. Like, when the last two were such great single-player experiences and and lauded for that fact, I don't see why they're chasing the games-as-service model. Uh, like, I'm, I'm cool with them experimenting. I'd be, a little, like, 80% happier with this game if it had decent checkpoints, especially if you're playing solo. Mm. And I'm, I'm not against them trying something like this. It's just, this isn't it, Chief. This, this doesn't <laughs> work for me. Um... So yeah, sadly, I'm probably not going to go back to it unless they start adding in uh, decent checkpoints. Wow. I probably would have uh, roped my wife in to play it had it not had that awful structure as well. Um, it's just it's just a frustrating game, and uh, the highlights are actually the side stuff, and you just can't keep doing that forever, sadly. Mm, that's a shame. Yeah, so I'm done with that. Um, I should talk about how it runs on Switch, really, shouldn't I? Um, <laughs> basically similar to the new Colossus I feel I feel like it's l- slightly less blurry 
um, seems to vary slightly on the types of environment you're in, but uh, I feel like the draw distance is better. I can I can tell further away what's there rather than just you know these uh, little blobs that are the <laughs> where the enemies in New Colossus. Uh, New Colossus did get worked on after it was released, so I imagine it's kind of in line with what that game looks like now rather than what it launched like. Um, but like in the cutscenes, textures on the girl suits are either passable or just terrible. Mm. Um, it does look really good in handheld though, so I, I tended to play it there more often. But yeah, just uh, the gameplay's great, just everything else not so much. Um, it was fun yeah. seeing some of these characters 19 years later. So uh, Grace Walker is now the head of the FBI, wears a suit. She isn't the uh, the the sassy chick she was in uh, New Colossus, but yeah. Mm. That's about the only joy. And then the sisters themselves, actually, they uh, there's nothing really to them and they come off obnoxious. Uh, they, they start off pretty inexperienced because basically no one's prepared them to, to go out to hunt for their dad. They've just decided that they're going to do it because he's missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they get their first kill and they go through this hilarious range of emotions like laughter, crying, just despondent. And it just flashes through, and that's like the the best they are. Like that's that's the only point where it's like that's pretty cool. And then everything else, they're just wandering around the levels, calling each other "dude" really obnoxiously. <laughs> it's, it's it's like it's like playing as Bill and Ted. It's oh just oh god, annoying. that sounds that, awful. That sounds like a selling point to me. <laughs> uh, I'd be happier if it was Bill and Ted, to be honest. They they have their moments here and there. There's like little incidental uh, chatter between the two that is interesting but most of it's just vapid and obnoxious and uh, I'm not sure that it'd actually go anywhere but that's not the mm. co- the point of the game the point of the game is here's a life service game and that's not what I wanted so uh, partly on me because you know I, I ignored <laughs> most of the uh, you know the pre-release information mm-hmm. so there's probably a little bit of misunderstanding I knew it was going to be factors as a co-op game but yeah, even I wasn't prepared for, the, for that sort of level. Yeah, so deleted. If they fix the uh, checkpoint in, I will go back because I, I would like to see it through. I've seen the others through. So let's move on. Uh, Ginny, you've been playing a game called Forager? Yeah, I have been. Um, so I was emboldened by enjoying Dragon Quest Builders 2. Uh, and I thought, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't have let Minecraft ruin the genre for me all those years ago. Maybe I should try some other games about about building things um, that don't necessarily have a, a linear quest structure. You know, maybe I'll learn to enjoy life on the farm. Uh, spoilers, I don't really enjoy life on the farm. <laughs> um, but um, Forager is a very charming game, regardless. And it held my attention for a lot longer than I thought it would. So, essentially... Um, kind of just starts out like uh, any other kind of open world building game. You wash up, um, you're alone, there's uh, trees, <laughs> you kind of rudimentary, you use your hand coordination to smash up a tree and smash up some rocks and then make a fire and then kill a thing and then suddenly you get really good at doing all those things over time through repetition and through... I guess creating things to better smash other things with, so on and so forth. And then over time you create uh, an economy, you create a shop, you create 
places to stay, you make use of resources, you build a little township. Um, and I, I guess this is going to be a, a strange comparison, potentially, but playing Forager kind of made me feel like I was playing, um, I was playing a, a dungeon crawler. <laughs> Like, in the sense that, like, I would grind out a particular island or location in the game and just, you know, completely, like, wipe it clean of all its resources, um, throw all the money I could into industry in the town, like, and into its economy, buy a new island, do the same thing. Like, it didn't really feel like I was innovating or, or creating, I suppose, in the way that Dragon Quest Builders and Minecraft lets you do because while there are not a lot of linear quests to guide you at all in this game it is very clear from the the skill trees and systems in it that this isn't a game where you just free build whatever you want you can't make like the leading stat the leaning tower of of whatever that italian city is um, <laughs> in this game you can't make like a giant pikachu mural um you essentially have skill trees like an rpg and you have foraging magic economy or industry um, and basically you either focus on farming or automating, making money, um, improve your efficiency. So it kind of is more like running a small township, um, than it is like, I suppose, essentially building out a place, building a, a real sense of community or, or building a, something artistic, which I found interesting to a point i guess the way the systems work and the, and the way the graphics work i never felt like i was really kind of playing a game where i had to be creative or where i had to kind of innovate on on any designs or the focus didn't feel like it was how do i make how do i help someone how do i figure this stuff out and i guess i was a little bit spoiled by dragon quest builders having so much direction in terms of what needed to be done um this game has none of that so left to my own devices i, def I defaulted to civ mode which is just make the biggest and most efficient city possible, which I guess is probably not what people would do in the situation, and it's probably not the most fun way to play a game like this either. Um, the aesthetic reminds me a little bit of Swords of Ditto, um, in a way. It is very adorable. Um, there are also dungeons in the game where you can fight enemies. They kind of feel like they were just stuck there for variety, to give you something to do, as opposed to just forage for stuff, because they're not very well designed, the combat is subpar, um, and any puzzles are incredibly simple, so it feels to me like it's just a, a game that's kind of missing a little bit of something. It's like it didn't really kind of commit to, to the Minecraft free build aesthetic, didn't really commit to having quests or having sort of, I guess, guidance for the character to, to fully explore all of its faux RPG systems, didn't really commit to having stuff like dungeons or other extraneous things to, to keep you invested beyond... I guess, the arbitrary goals of make your town more efficient, maybe, at some point. There are achievements in a way, but they don't really give you anything in the game. Um, so it just kind of feels like lots of little bits of other inspirations kind of cobbled together in, in a cute package. Like, you're just kind of praying for the best. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was really cute if you're someone that likes building games and you want something that isn't really quite Dragon Quest Builders, Two, you you want a little bit more freedom in terms of what to do. You don't really want a lot of a lot of combat or to think about. You kind of just want to build a town and and run it efficiently, like a like a less engaging Animal Crossing. Um, this is potentially something that you want to check out. What I found interesting though is I I looked out the game afterwards because I was 
wanting to know, I guess, if that was really it, if that was all, you know, maybe, maybe I was missing something. Maybe my internal biases were, were acting against me, but um, I've discovered that there's actually a, a content roadmap for the game. So essentially next year, I think, um, the developers get updated with multiplayer, um, more combat and more landscape. So it looks like they're going to pad out some of these features that I think the game could really use currently in the future. So it's good to, it's good to see them thinking ahead and wanting to, and planning to support the game longer term, obviously beyond this release here. So, um, yeah, I, I think if maybe as we get a little bit closer to, to that sort of like roadmap and to those goals we implemented, um, then this is probably a worthy purchase if you're someone who likes the genre. Um, but obviously, I'm not someone that's a huge fan of the genre, so it, it kind of didn't really click on to me the way it might click on to you. Uh, either way, it is still very cute. Um, and, and if you like the Swords of Digital aesthetic and you just kind of want to build things at your own leisure, then yeah, this is, this is their, their worst games to do it in. It is, it is a, a good looking game and it runs well. It's also worth mentioning that the hero from Dragon Quest was uh, released on Smash this last week. Has anyone had a chance to play him? I played classic mode with him, and then I was done. <laughs> and Ginny, you played against your brother, you said? Yeah, so he used it. Um, I played as Kirby. Um, I sucked in more ways than one. <laughs> um, he looked he looked really fun. I, I, I kind of enjoyed the way that um, I enjoyed the skills that the hero has, and my brother was certainly just frothing at the mouth to play him. So it seems like Dragon Quest fans should be happy with the way that he's been implemented. Nice. Uh, I haven't had a chance to give him a look. I, I did update Smash Brothers, so I have intentions, but they don't always come to fruition. Uh, and the last game that we're going to talk about this week is uh, Mutant Year Zero Road to Eden Deluxe Edition. Uh, this is a game I've had my eye on for quite a while. I didn't even know it was coming to Switch until the other week when I saw it on the Coming Soon page. Uh, I didn't grab it on Switch yet. I have access to it on Games Pass, uh, so I gave it a look on there for like an hour and a half today. I had been trying to get it to work on uh, PC Games Pass, but that version is having all kinds of issues uh, with signing in and running at s- certain resolutions and stuff, so if if you're going to look at playing it on PC, I recommend the Steam version, which I believe doesn't have these issues. So I've been playing it on Xbox uh, this morning. Uh, so far, I, I I think it's really great, and it has one of my favourite opening movies for qu- quite some time. <laughs> uh, but Andrew, you're probably in a lot further than I am. So, are you enjoying it? I am enjoying it, but it it feels like it might be a one trick pony. Uh, this is a tactical RPG, sort of in the line of uh, XCOM. Uh, the the combat does work in that way, but the game's gimmick is when you're not in combat, it actually plays like a 3D top-down adventure game. And you get your characters into position, and you can either move them in a, in a group, or you can split them up and move them around the environment individually. And you can stealth past enemies by staying out of their circles of awareness and going into hiding against trees and other forms of cover, and then when everybody is in position, you can hit the combat button, and then it turns into a grid-based tactical RPG, and you you try to shoot everybody with your guns, and you try not to die. And this is a very focused game. You get a very small party. 
there's only five characters total, six with the DLC, which is packed in with the Switch version of the game. But the base game only has five characters. You only use three of them at any time. And it's just a really smart, challenging tactical RPG because since you have such a small party and since the enemies you're going up against are usually so much stronger than you are, you've got to use the stealth mechanics uh, to isolate certain characters on the in the each individual level and take those characters out in one hit without being heard by ganging up on them with your different characters and that's where the the challenge at the start of the game really is because you only start with one character with a stealth gun and the other characters once they open fire then they will be immediately heard and you'll immediately have everybody on the map trying to kill you so that that's pretty hard that's at the start but once you get more stealth weapons for all of your characters, then it just becomes a matter of isolating those patrolling units and taking them out, and then then you can take on the main pack all at once. There's a lot of resource management going on. Depending upon the difficulty you're playing as, you don't heal as much on the standard difficulty. You only heal to 50% of your total hit points. If you're playing on the hardest difficulty, you don't heal at all. So you've got to play through the whole game using just the med kits that they give you to get your characters topped off. Or you can just play on easy, which does heal you back to 100% every time you leave combat. And I gotta tell you, this game is really hard, even though I, I spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to get through these maps so that way I can kill enemies one at a time. I still end up getting into a fight where I have to fight two or three enemies at once, and I still barely finish those fights. I am... I am on the verge of switching it down to easy because I don't think I'm going to finish this game if I don't. I actually got a heads up from someone before I started that said, even if you think you're good at strategy games, play it on easy to begin with. <laughs> uh, so I, I did follow that. I wasn't going to mention it, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm either a third or halfway through the game. I can't really tell. Like looking at like the level recommendations it gives you for the different zones i'm at level 25 now so i feel like i'm about halfway through the game looking at where the dlc starts off at the dlc which takes place post game recommends you be level 65 so i think i'm about i think i'm about halfway there you get levels like just shoved down your throat in this game though <laughs> uh <laughs> like you finish a battle basically you get a level up and you're gonna do several battles in each map the map is actually really in interestingly set up it's not really open world but you you do explore it like it is an open world and it, it all the levels are laid out where they they uh all the levels are laid out where one level will lead into another but then some of the levels will branch and there are even some levels which are optional I, i'm going to use air quotes optional because if you don't do them you won't have strong guns and your characters won't be high enough level to compete but they there are air quotes optional areas so there's actually a world to explore here which is really cool uh but like i said it feels like it might be a one trick pony because uh it feels like there's really only one viable strategy the characters even though this is a tactical rpg uh there doesn't feel like there's much of a way to customize them like Borman, who is your your giant pig tank, uh, like he, he he's a tank. That's what he is. And you don't really get a choice on what else you could do with him. And Ducks, who is your your hunter duck, uh, he he's your sniper. I mean, that's what he is. 
and it, it feels like everything's a little too pigeonholed and a little too restricted, but just the whole process of playing the game like an open world adventure game, getting your characters all stealthed through each area and into the perfect position so that way they can all uh, use their stealth guns to take care of the stragglers and then take out the big guns to do a pincer movement on the big groups that you can't isolate and eliminate. That stuff is all really, really, really cool. Uh, but I don't think that there's going to be a lot of alternate strategies that you're going to find in getting this, and I don't see it having a great deal of replay value. It's a very meticulous and slow-paced game. Like last yesterday, When I was playing yesterday, I, I spent two hours just trying to get through one battle. That's also because I, I was playing on normal. I hadn't dropped it down to easy yet, so I was trying to get <laughs> through it perfectly without, you know, losing any resources or without anybody going down. Uh, so I think I'll have an easier time of it after this, but th just to give you an idea of what a really intense strategy this strategy game this is. Uh, yeah, two hours to get through one battle. <laughs> uh, I do like this game. I just, I have reservations about it, and I, I think, I don't think it's going to be up there with XCOM or Mario plus Rabbits at the end of the day. Hmm. From the short amount I've played, the the skill tree looked interesting. Um, I don't know how much you found that's changed your your tactics at all. Not at all. I mean, your skills are what your skills are. There are alternate like skills that you can take on either side of the tree, and you can only spec into certain numbers of your skills at once. Like you can't use every skill that you've ever bought. You have to choose before battle. But mm -hmm. like there there's no variety. I mean. You got ducks who you can increase either his range or his crit rate, but he's he's still going to be your sniper. There, there's no real variation on that. And like I said, there's only five playable characters in the base game, and then the DLC adds a sixth one, and that's what you get. You're not going to be building a custom army in this. You, you're really playing by the developer's rules. You're playing with the way the game was designed to be beat. And I, I don't think there's a lot of flexibility to chart your own course through this. Fair enough. Uh, I'll, I certainly want to keep playing it, so I'll, uh, I'll keep you posted on how I go. Um, I might pick it up on uh, Switch as, as a physical copy later down the line, I think. I, I would have got it this week, but I couldn't excuse it with yeah. being able to get free access to it so i think it's fine on the xbox one uh like the switch version is good and like when you're playing it docked it even looks good but i played it handheld for a little while and it was like playing a completely different game uh especially Jeez. visually uh, i think this game handheld is, is playing in standard definition like, it, it looked like a lamentably different game playing it handheld which was disappointing but I, as far as being playable, it was still perfectly playable. But as far as like being able to pick out parts of the environment, especially since there's a, a heavy scavenging element to this game where you need to pick up things in the environment so you can buy things and so you can upgrade your weapons. Playing this game handheld in standard definition, you know, seeing those little things in the environment which are hard enough to see in HD or uh, even seeing how all the enemies are laid out and where they're walking around at. Much more difficult in handheld, but uh, the text is much easier to read in handheld. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is definitely a squinty game if you, if you like reading everything. But <laughs> the handheld part of the game was, it was playable, but I was pretty disappointed with it. 
Okay, guys, what are we playing this week? We'll start with Andrew. Okay, uh, I got a whole thing I got to go through. Uh, September is a huge release month. I just did a quick tally while we were recording. There's 15 games coming out in September, and I'm buying every single one of them because we don't often get review codes on this show. So (laughs) most of the games, at least that I talk about on here, I'm paying for them with my own money. So in the coming August, there's not much new that I'm going to be playing other than Friday the 13th, which comes out in the middle of the month and Collection of Mana at the end of the month. Uh, So most of what I'm going to be playing this coming month is going to be backlog-gamed and free-to-play releases. So for next week, it will be God Eater 3, uh, which I got a review code for that last month. I just haven't had time to visit it yet. But And also DC Universe Online, which is a free-to-play MMO, is coming out next week. I'll be taking a look at that as well. Nice. Ginny? Yeah, I'll probably give Forja a little bit more of my time, but realistically I'm just going to power through Fire Emblem and cry I guess, <laughs> when my wife dies <laughs> I don't know I'm, I'm kind of winding up to that point in the story where I know something like horrific is going to happen because Fire Emblem games don't at all try and like mask that fact, in fact they actively build this sense of dread just from like little things you know like everything's going so great you're like i know something's gonna go wrong so i'm just kind of waiting for the game to to punch me in in the stomach and the heart at the same time probably um and yeah i just want to finish it start my new game plus and try a different house so definitely fire emblem all the way nice uh, i'm gonna be playing a lot more fire emblem i did get a bunch more in this week uh, but i spent most of my time just like leveling my characters just because i want to mm-hmm. keep on top of that um, and now that I'm not playing Youngblood anymore, I will be chipping away at uh, Doom 1, I think. I'm, I'm most of the way through the, the first mm. episode of the first one, so yeah, I'm going to keep mm. playing that, uh, which is a good shooter from Bethesda. So that's it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, you can now buy us a coffee. Details are on our website thanks in advance and if you want to follow the three of us on twitter you can do so i'm at flame roast toast andrew is at play critically and also streams at twitch.tv forward slash play critically not planning on moving exclusively to mixer or anything and Ginny is at Ginny woes